0: You don't remember my name. Yeah, I remember <laughs> my name. What's your name? Her name is Arlene S., yes, and she's from Nashville, Tennessee, and Arlene is here to talk on the fourth, fifth, and sixth step tonight. I'd like to give you Arlene. <laughs> Thank you, Betty. You're welcome, Arlene. I'd like to give you Arlene, too. I do what you do with right now. I feel like I'm hot-wired. <laughs> I'm here tonight to discuss the fourth, fifth, and sixth steps with you. The fourth step is made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Now when I did this fourth step, I went all the way back, as far as I could remember, in my childhood. And I would suggest that if you haven't done your fourth step, that you try to go that far back. Because if you were like I am and was, you will discover that you brought these defects of character along with you when you married your alcoholic or uh, before you got involved with your alcoholic, whether it be a spouse, a child, a parent, or what have you. Uh, you've had these defects of character, and the alcoholism just aggravated them. As I told you the last time I was here, I studied the 12 steps in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I did that because at that time, we did not have the Al-Anon literature. Now, in the big book, it says that resentments are the number one or the biggie for the alcoholic. And I have discovered in reading that book that if I just put my name in that book, everywhere it says alcoholic, it pretty well suits me, too. I have pretty much the same kind of a personality or had the same kind of a personality that my alcoholic did. And at that time, I was filled with resentment. I resented everything and everybody. I resented my mother because she had favored my youngest sister and my youngest son uh, brother. I didn't have a son back then. And I resented... My sisters, because they were both younger than me, and they both had better lives than I did. They had better husbands. They had better homes. They had more money. They had better clothes. They just had better everything. And uh, they shared this with me and and gladly did so. And I gladly took their clothes when they got tired of wearing them uh, because I needed them to work in. But I still resented them for it. And I resented God for allowing this to happen. Um, the people I worked with, I resented them. I resented them if they didn't have a problem because they weren't any better than I was to not have problems. And then I resented you if you had the audacity to tell me you had a problem because no matter what your problem was, it was not as bad as the problem I had at home. And I would just think to myself, baby, you don't know what a problem is. You ought to live with what I live with. So I was filled with resentment, and I was filled with hatred. Of course, I resented my alcoholic husband because he did not take care of me in the manner in which I felt he should have and in the manner to which I was accustomed. So I resented and I hated him, and I was just filled with resentment and hate. So when I read that in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it hit me to a T and I knew what they were talking about. And it's it's suggested in the big book that we write these resentments down, that when we take our inventory, we write it down. Now, I hear a lot of people say they don't want to write it down, or they didn't write it down, or they don't feel you have to write it down. Some people even get indignant when you tell them to write it down. But I was glad, after I had done it, that I did write it down. Because you know what? I don't think I would have ever seen all that I saw once it was on paper. And I don't believe I could have at that time kept it all in my mind had I not written it down. I don't know how on earth anybody ever does an inventory without writing it. I am just not that smart. I just don't have that capability. So I suggest to my pigeons and to anyone who asks, that they write their inventory. Now, on uh, page, I believe it's on page 65 in the big book, they give you a very precise example for doing this. And this is what I did. And you take a piece of paper and you draw three columns. You make three columns on that piece of paper. Now, the heading on the first column would be, I am resentful at or I'm resentful at. Now under this heading, you would list every person, institution, or principle that you are resentful or angry at, okay? Now in the middle column, or the second column, this would be headed the cause. In this column you will put why you're resentful or angry. The word angry fits. Why am I angry at this person? Uh, what, what did they do to me? And you be very specific. And if they did more than one thing to you, you list everything that they did to you or that you think they did to you in this middle column. Now, in the last column, this would be headed, affects my. Now, according to the big book, there are four areas of our lives that are, generally affected by other people. And I call it the double sap. I'm able to remember what they are that way. And I feel like a double sap. I I think that's a cute cute word. And so I call it double sap. It's (coughs) S-S-A-P. And the four areas that that I was affected by were self-esteem, security, ambitions, and personal relationships. And that includes sexual relationships, lady. And everything that was ever done or I thought was done to me or that made me angry or upset me affected one of those areas in my life. And so in that column, I put down what area, and sometimes it was more than one, that this person had affected by what they had done to me. Okay. Now, after you do this, and you look at this thing, when you're finished with it, and you read it, and you look at it, and you examine it, you're going to discover something that, to me, was startling. And that is that I was controlled by and dominated by the world and people in it. My entire life at that time was dictated by my alcoholic husband... Or my bosses or my my uh, the people I worked with, uh, my family, whoever was around me, whatever was going on in the world at the time, and i I discovered this when I looked at that, just as the big book says that we will. Now, when you discover something like this about yourself, you know and you realize that there is no way possible that you can maintain a serene, happy, normal life if you are filled with those resentments and if everything pushes your button and if you dance to everybody else's tune. There's no way possible. Not only are you not going to be happy, but there's no way that you can be helpful to others, which I believe is what my God wants me to be. And there's no way I could do that. So when they said in the big book that this was a killer for alcoholics, but there was no way that they could maintain sobriety with these resentments. I knew that it was a killer for Arlene and that there was no way that I was going to maintain or even gain serenity in my al program with these resentments. So now we've discovered this, what are we going to do with them? We have to master them. We have to learn to master resentments. Now, how are we going to do that? You can't just pluck them off. You can't get in a shower and scrub them off. You can't go to a doctor and have him cut them out. How are you going to master resentment? Well, you know that that big book did it again. It tells you in a very precise, easy, simple, clear way how to master resentment. And it really works. And I believe that that's on the bottom of page 67, top page 67, uh, bottom of page 66, and top page 67. I'm not real sure about that, but I believe that's approximately where you will find this. And it says in there to handle the resentments you have for those people you put down on that paper. Now these are resentments pretty much from the past. Some of them may be right now, but they're pretty much from the past. To handle those resentments, you just tell yourself that these people who hurt you were probably spiritually sick. They probably were. If they did indeed hurt you. Now, whether or not they did do what you think you, they did doesn't really matter. The point is you think they did it. So we've got, we're got we just going to work from there and assume they did do it, whether they did or not. And so you tell yourself, these people were probably spiritually sick. And while we don't like their symptoms, and we don't like what they did to us, and the way that it makes us feel, we can say that they, like ourselves, they, like me, were sick people. And so we pray to God That he will help us to have the same tolerance, the same pity, and the same patience with those people that we would have for a sick friend. We would gladly give a sick friend tolerance, pity, and patience in their sickness. And so this helps take care of the people that's on our list. Now, what about these Scoundrels, you're around right now. While you are learning to master these resentments, what are we going to do about them? I mean, here you are—you got a house full of kids, or you've got a a husband that's probably NAA right now, but there's still no do right in him, and he, he just don't, he just don't done right. And, and and you gotta you gotta cope with this, and you gotta go to work, and you gotta cope with them flakes out there, them Earth people that don't have this program, and. So how are you going to master resentments right now, today? Well, it tells me what to do there. It says that when someone offends me, I stand there and I think to myself, this woman or this man is sick. How can I help them? Now, this is the killer. This is the bummer right here. This is the one that gets you every time. You say, God, please save me from getting angry. Thy will be done. Now, how are you going to smack somebody's head off when you just stood there and thought that? It does work. I used it tonight. I used it tonight. On the way here, I stopped at the filling station. And there was these bunch of foreigners in the car. And I got nothing against foreigners if there happened to be one sitting in here. <laughs> but there was this bunch of furriners in the car, and they had blocked the pump. And I had to get to Murfreesboro, and I'm still sitting in Nashville at 15 minutes after 7. And they're just standing in there talking. Now, the only would have set on the horn. And if that hadn't worked, I would have gotten out of the car, slammed the doors till the car rocked, gone in the filling station, and shouted at the top of my lungs, Who, what imbecile, parked that car in front of the gas pumps? But I didn't do that tonight. I said the little prayer that I just repeated to you. And I did not get angry. It works. There's no way. There's no way for me to ask God to save me from being angry and say, Thou will be done, and then me act like I used to do. So that is the way we master resentment in our present, right now, this moment. Now, if we do that every day, every time we're offended, then what's going to happen? We're not going to have them stuck down in here. We're not going to have any future resentments because we're taking care of them daily. Today, I have no resentments that I know of. Except one. <laughs> I hate the word codependence. I want that on tape. <laughs>
1: I do not like
0: it in my Alamon meetings. And I want that on tape. But I'm getting better at that. I haven't hit anybody. I haven't argued with anybody. But I do let you know that I don't like it. And that's the only resentment that I, well, I guess you'd call that a resentment. I'm not sure. But that's the only one I know of today that I have. I have no resentment against a person that I can think of. So then we're going to go back up to the top of this list. Now we've learned how to master these resentments. We're going to go back up to the top of this list and we're going to do something else. And this is the fun part. This time, we're going to look at this list from a different angle. We're going to completely ignore the other people on this list. And the only person we're going to concentrate on is ourselves. This is, by the way, our own inventory. It is not those other people's inventory that we put on that list. It is our inventory. You know, I never grew at all by taking Betty's inventory. It's going to do me a bit of good to take Betty's inventory. I don't grow a bit, a bit that way. But when I take my own inventory, I grow. And I want to say right here, there are people who are afraid of this this, this, this fourth step. They put it off because don't want to look at it. I didn't want to look at me. I was scared to look at me. I didn't know what I was going to find. It's not scary. It's not scary. And you have not done anything that somebody else hasn't already done. So don't be afraid to look at you. And it's a wonderful thing that we have here. To help us see ourselves. You know, psychiatrist psychologists says it's almost impossible to know yourself. It's very hard to look at yourself and see yourself. And here we have a way of doing it. We have a gift in this fourth step. So when you go back up to the top of this list now, and you start off with that first little incident up there, what you're going to do is say, what did Arlene do? In this incident what did I do to start the ball rolling or if I didn't start the ball rolling did I keep it rolling in every instance we play a part a person doesn't argue by themselves there can't be an argument or a disagreement with just one person it takes two so in every instance we played a part Now, what part did we play? And out beside that in little brackets, you name it. Was I perhaps greedy in this situation? Was I selfish? Was I self-serving? Was I pious? Uh, Was I vindictive? Was I deceitful? Whatever the defect or the emotion that you were feeling in that incident, Put it down there. Because now we're looking at you. Now we're looking at ourselves. And this is the important part of it. And we must be honest when we do this. We must be for our own good. We must be. Okay, now when you do that, and you look at this thing again, see, you study this list a lot. This is a very important list. I forgot to tell you that this list This inventory that you are taking is your future. So it is important that you take it honestly and openly. And so now we're going to look at this list again after we've gotten it all written down there. And now we're going to see a pattern. My pattern, my God's, my most important things, and I found this out from the fourth step inventory, and I don't like it, no whole heck of a lot. I, I would have preferred to have been a little bit nicer than I was. But my two gods, I had two of them, before I got here, or before I started working my steps, was self-serving and money. Money meant everything in the world to me before I got here. And my self-esteem. And me, me. It was always I, I, I. I didn't, I didn't think about nobody else. It was always me. And that's what I discovered when I looked at this list again. There was a pattern. And I found that I reacted the same way in a lot of different circumstances because my self-esteem and my security was threatened. My pocketbook. There's another wonderful thing about this list. Now you know what your goals are. Now you've got a place to start. You can't change something if you don't know what needs to be changed. So that's the other wonderful thing about this. You know, I think this step is exciting. I really do. I think it's a very exciting step. It's like putting a puzzle together. You are putting your life story together in this fourth step inventory. So don't be afraid of it. Okay. Now, we've got this all this mess written down here on a piece of paper. We have, with the first four steps now, tried to change our attitude, tried to improve our relationship with, with God, and we have found our stumbling blocks. Now what are we going to do with them? What do we do with this thing now that we've got it? Okay, step five says, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. And you know, all of the twelve steps are ego busters. They're ego deflators. I've still got a big ego today. Every time I get up and do something like this, I always have to say, God, don't let my ego take off. You know, sit on it. Squash it. But they're all ego deflators. And this one is one of the biggies. I can think of one more in the 12 steps. Another step that is just about as bad as this one. But this one is difficult. Now, it's not hard to admit to God what my defects of character are because he already knew what they were to begin with. And it's not hard to admit to myself what they are. I did that when I wrote it down on a piece of paper and looked at it. So that part is already done. We've already done those two parts when we get to the fifth step. But the last part of that fifth step, that's the biggie. Where we got to tell another human being. There are people in this program who say, now if I admit my shortcomings to God and I admit them and know them myself, there is no need for me to admit them to another human being. And to those people I would say, no, there is no need. If you do not want perfect peace, and you don't want serenity, don't you do it. Don't you dare admit it to another human being. If you don't want a spiritual experience, don't do it. And you won't have any of that, I can promise you. There is a reason that we need to do this. We have to learn three lessons in their fullest extent in order to have a spiritual experience. And you will learn those three lessons in the last part of step five. One of those lessons is fearlessness. One of those lessons is honesty. And the third and perhaps most important of all, It's humility. And if you don't learn those, you're shortchanging yourself. You're not hurting anybody else. (coughs) But you will never. And you withhold absolutely nothing. If you withhold anything, you are not going to have that perfect peace. It's not going to come. And you're not going to have the spiritual experience to the fullest. And that's why it is a necessity that we do the last part of this step. Now, you've got your list there. The next important thing is picking the person. And this this takes some thought. I would hope that you would do this with your sponsor. I did not. And I regret that today. Because since doing it with my pigeons, I know what I missed. You see, when you do this with your sponsor, there is a bond there that will last the rest of your life. Nothing will ever erase that spiritual experience with that sponsor. There is a kinship between the two of you. It's sort of like the Indians used to uh, become blood brothers, and they'd cut their wrist and let the blood run together, and that's sort of what you become. With your sponsor, when you have this special experience. And it is special. It is a very special experience when you have it with your sponsor. So I would hope that you would do that. Now, I could not because at the time I did my four step inventory, I still did not trust women. And it was important to me that no other Alamon know all this garbage. Because I had some biggies. And I was not absolutely 100 sure that that sponsor wouldn't have to just go tell somebody else because mine was so outstanding, you know. So I didn't do that. I used the only friend I had in the world. And this friend had seen the worst of me. And she is the one who tried to get me call AA a year before I did. She had dealt with alcoholism. She knew about AA and she knew about Al-Anon. And she knew why it was important for me to do this step. So whoever you choose, if it is not your sponsor, if it is not an Al-Anon, be sure that they understand what you're doing and why. And that they understand that it is a life and death situation that you do it right. If you can't use your sponsor for whatever reason, you might use your clergy, you might use uh, your doctor, you might use a lawyer, or you might, like me, use a best friend or a family member, whoever you feel comfortable with. You should feel comfortable with the person. You should feel sure that the person is closed mouth and that they have a good Al-Anon program if you use your sponsor. Today, I have never heard of a sponsor telling anything that was told to them in a fifth step. I don't believe that a person in Al-Anon who has any program at all and who is a sponsor in the first place will do that. I just don't believe it. If it has been done, I have not heard of it. Myself, when I listen to one of my pigeons, I pray to God that he will help me forget everything that they tell me. You see, I'm not there to take notes. I'm not there to memorize what this person told me. I'm not there to tape it and study it. That moment is a special moment set aside for this pigeon to unload, to get rid of the garbage. And that's all that's for. It's not for me. And I know that my God has helped me forget these things because I've had pigeons come up to me and say, you remember when uh, I did so-and-so and so-and-so? And I say, no, I don't remember that. Oh, I'm sure you do. I told you about him in our fit step inventory. I said, I don't remember that. I said, when you left the house, I forgot it. I believe if you have a good sponsor, you can trust her. So when you get the person, when you choose the person, you grab this list that you've got, you set, a, you set an appointment with them, and you grab this list and you meet and you go over there, wherever, prepared to have a long talk. Because it's going to be a long one. You need to have plenty of time. And if you're like me, you'll squall and you'll bawl and you'll laugh and, and you'll go through all kinds of emotions while you are doing this with this special person. And it's worth every minute. It's worth every minute. I cannot describe to you the feeling. The feeling, the light, the lightheadedness, the lightness The closeness to God, the feeling that you have when you do this. The big book describes it pretty good. It says something like this. We were delighted. We could look the world in the eye. And this one I love. We could be alone in perfect peace and ease. We could be alone in perfect peace and ease. Our fears fell from us. Remember in step three, our fears began to fade. Now in step five, after you do this step, the fears fall from you. We felt the closeness of our Creator. Remember in step three, we became conscious of His presence. And now in step five, we feel His closeness. Do you see how the steps gradually take you into a greater serenity? A different stage of serenity as you complete each one. We began A spiritual experience. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. If you haven't done it, and you're ready, and you're just putting it off a little bit longer because you're afraid, please do it. Now, after you finish this experience, you go home, and you find the room that you can be quiet in for about an hour. And you sit down and you think about the things you've just done. And you get down on your knees and you thank God from the bottom of your heart that you know him better. And you take those 12 steps again and you look at them and you read the first five steps. And you ask yourself these questions. Have I done a good job? Have I done a good work here? Have I built a strong foundation? Have I been completely honest? Is there anything that I withheld? Is there anything I stuffed down inside? Did I leave anything unturned? Have I done it all to the best of my ability on all five of these steps? Now, if you cannot answer yes to that, then you need to take care of wherever you are short. If you withheld anything, you need to get on the phone immediately and call that person and set up another date. And you need to take care of that for your sake you need to do that now when you can answer yes to that question to your satisfaction and you feel good about the way you've worked the first five steps then you are ready to go to step six and step six says we're entirely ready to have God remove all defects of character in this step we go back to that willingness again. That's the only action you take in this step. Willingness. Remember, we talked about willingness in step three, how important willingness was. It was the key that unlocked the door to the path of a faith that worked. Willingness. We find willingness again in step six. We become willing To have God remove all these defects of character. All of them. Now, he's not saying remove the ones that aren't that important. He's not saying remove the ones that you want to. If you are like some of us, if you are like I was, there will be one or two of them defects you just ain't ready to let go of yet. You know, like uh, the purse strings. Letting that idiot manage my money, you know. I couldn't do that. What about taking over his responsibilities? What about all the responsibilities that I took over that I should have allowed him to handle? I wasn't ready to let go of all of those responsibilities. Dominate. I still wanted to control. I wasn't ready to let go of all of my defects yet. And what about that? Biddy, you hated that you had every right to hate. I mean, she deserved it. Let's face it, she asked for it. You know, that's my resentment. I've got a right to it, and I don't want to let that go yet. If there's any, any, that you don't want to let go of yet, then you've got a little more work to do. And the big book tells us what we've got to do. We've got to pray to God. For the willingness to let go of the purse string, For the willingness to let go of the domination. Let him pick his own color socks. Let him decide how many meetings he needs. Let him choose his sponsor. You know, I didn't have to do those things. He can do those things. That's just a few examples. And how long do you have to pray to God for the willingness? As long as it takes. As long as it takes. God will give you that willingness right now. If you ask and you really want it, but if you ask and there's something down in there that don't quite want to let go of it yet, you ain't going to get it. Not until it's time. And so you continue to pray for that willingness and you name it, each one that you don't want to let go of. You continue to pray for that willingness until you are completely ready. And when you're completely ready, we'll be ready for step seven. This will take you into step seven which we will cover the next time that I am here. Thank you.